Are you a self-published author needing more sales? Let's talk about momentum advertising for authors. If you'd rather be writing your next book instead of taking marketing classes, or roping your cousin's girlfriend into handling your social media ads, get Community Authors' latest service. They do all the work to get your book noticed. Find out more on their weekly information sessions that are free if you go to their website, communityauthors.com. I'm telling you, this exclusive program is a great opportunity. Their clients are really partners at Momentum Advertising for Authors, so be sure to tell them that Christy and Kathy from GOB sent you. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks in Conversation with Lydia Kang. Looking forward to talking to her, Kathy. Um, I think she's out there in the Midwest, with, close to you. <laughs> Finally. Finally an author from the Midwest. We always talk to everybody in your neck of the woods or from California. So yeah, just down the road a little bit. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So we'll have to also check and see how her weather is going, just like I always ask you if it's like snowing or something <laughs> up there. Um, but before that, let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about Lydia. Lydia Kang is an author of young adult fiction, adult fiction and nonfiction and poetry. And she graduated from Columbia University and New York University School of Medicine, completing her residency and chief residency at Bellevue Hospital mm -hmm. in New York City. She is currently a practicing physician who has gained a reputation for helping fellow writers achieve medical accuracy in fiction, which is always good. Her poetry <laughs> and nonfiction have been published in JAMA, the Annals of Internal Medicine, Canadian Medical Association Journal, Journal of General Internal Medicine, and Great Weather for Media. I don't know, that sounds... That sounds great to me. I like great weather. <laughs> her book, it, and I must say, she's not just an author of all these books. She's an award-winning and best-selling author, okay, and novelist. <laughs> and her book, um, her latest book is The Half-Life of Ruby Fielding. And it's quite a page-turning historical thriller yeah. set in New York City in 1942. So... Lydia, she believes in science and knocking on wood, so that's good. Um, she currently lives in Omaha with her husband and three children. So Lydia, it's so nice to have you with us today. Thank you guys for having me. It was like uh, such a sweet introduction. I appreciate it very much. Oh, well, we're Absolutely. very impressed. Thank you. I am in the middle. <laughs> you are. And is it snowing? <laughs> No, but it was snowing yesterday. It's like kind of gloomy today. Um, <laughs> like I think like four days ago, it was 90 degrees. Oh, goodness. And then it snowed the next day. This is, <laughs> well, this is what this, we do. This, 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 um, we're recording a little early. So probably by the time this, this comes out and this novel actually comes out because it's before your book birthday, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, by, by the time everybody's hearing this, it'll probably be just 90 degrees all the time, right? Oh, probably. It's going to just <laughs> skip spring altogether. Yeah, there's no spring in the Midwest. It's just great. 
to some. Kathy, where are, where are you situated? I'm in South Dakota. So I'm a little oh, more. Okay. And we, um, uh, a good friend of mine is from Omaha. And so we always compare her, her parents' weather. And to, to me, Omaha is the nicer Midwest weather because you're further south than we are. And yeah. so it's always a lot nicer there. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little nicer than the Dakotas, but it's still yeah. like, a. You know, I have friends on the East Coast and we're always like, it's kind of like the West Coast. We get four seasons, but like everything's worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more extreme. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're so thrilled you're here with us today. And Lydia suggested that we drink a Shiraz or Syrah. Whatever you want to say. Shiraz, Shiraz, Shiraz. I think I Syrah. said rosé, but Syrah's good too. Oh, what you no, you now? did say rosé. Yes, she said the rosé. You're, um, Christy, you know what you were thinking of? Um, I'm so embarrassed. No. <laughs> I was reading the script. I know. I'm thinking of next week's wine. Oh, well. But it doesn't really matter because um, it's all good. Because Yeah, okay. it's all I, good. I don't actually <laughs> usually drink in the middle of the yeah, afternoon. Four o'clock. Yeah. This is very special. And I have a really funny <laughs> story about the wines, which I will tell you in a bit. <laughs> oh, that's Go perfect. That's awesome. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so we decided we were going to drink a rosé, which is one of my new favorite wines to drink. I just like, you know, a nice fruity, but dry rosé. And I'm not very picky when it comes to wine. And so you guys suggested like, hey, let's get this brand. It's very reasonably priced. So I sent my husband on an errand. I'm like, go find this wine. And I'm like, it's it's at this store. So he goes <laughs> to the store and it's sold out. And there's no. no there's no other place in Omaha that has it. And he's like, he's like, well, what should I do? And I'm just like, just grab anything. I, I don't care. Just less than $20. Just just take this off my list. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, just like, get something that like looks reasonable. I don't know. So he grabs something and he brings it home and he brings home this <laughs> bottle of Kim Crawford Rosé, which is a New Zealand wine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the wine that's like always like there's an ad on it on YouTube all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, it's good great. though. I is Well, I wouldn't know. I've never had it before. And I'm always like, I tend to stay away from wines that are like advertised on <laughs> television or like YouTube or something. Cause I just like, it's sort of like, I'm like, is it? is it really good? So I've never tried it. I'm a little bit snooty because I'm sort of like, is it really good? Because it advertises so much and I have it right here and I will (laughs) break it open and we will start. But I'm really curious to see the reviews are pretty generally favorable. Yeah. Oh, what the heck? We'll try it out. Yeah. But I was like, I've had the Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc and that's good. Is it? Yeah, it is. So hopefully the rosé is equally as good. So, okay drinking um a different wine because of our well i know and i was excited about doing the rosé kathy had chose that and i'd never heard of it um what was the one that we chose that we couldn't Um, she couldn't find it was like had a really cute name it did have a cute name or something yeah rock and roses or something like that or yeah and And i had picked it because it was on like youtube no (laughs) (laughs) no tv commercial yeah yeah (laughs) Um, that, um, oh, Christy, total wines. Cause that's what Christy. Oh, okay. No, I Cause in South Florida, we yeah. have total wine. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, okay. Omaha, they'll probably have that too. And it turns out I couldn't get it here. I actually saw Oh, it's not that funny. It's so funny. I was like, <laughs> well, well so tell suggestion. us how Kim Crawford and we'll yeah, try it. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's good. Oh, okay. it is really, it's really floral and fruity. But it's not like, it's funny because I read the reviews and some people are like, it's nice and dry. And other words, other ones were like, it's too sweet. And I'm like, how can it be both? (laughs) I don't know. 
I don't know. Um, and it, it, it actually toes the line between like dry and sweet. Like there's a tiny bit of sweetness, but it's not very overwhelming. Mm. It's good. Okay. I like it. It sounds good. It's it's good. Over. Yeah. And say, so say it's one in the that afternoon. you can, you can hide poisons in really well. Cause <laughs> I don't some, but not all. This would be better probably for that. Yeah. I know. Cause you could like hide a lot in that. How's yeah, your, how's really... your, is it Syrah? How's your Syrah? This is good. good. This is the um, layer cake Syrah and it's Australian. It's good. We've had this before. Haven't we? Wow. Well, and I guess we'll have it again, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll be having it multiple times. Yes, now. we will. Every I, threw, I threw everything off. Cause Sorry. I was just, I had that in my head for some reason. Oh, no, I think that's somehow, somehow it works out like us with our like random wine buying. Like he <laughs> was basically like, yeah, I'll get this one. And I'm like, it's I like he shut it's his eye. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, I know. Yeah. It's good though. It's delicious. Yeah. That's really all funny. Right. So good. Now we're all, we've got our wines. We got okay. Our wines. And so I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about the book before I ask mm -hmm. some questions, um, yes. because, you know, one, it's a historical thriller, which, you know, we don't seem to do a lot of, but lately I've been enjoying some and I really enjoyed mm -hmm. this book. This was set in World War II time in New York. I loved all the science aspect. I, I'm wearing my white coat because I thought it looked like a lab coat. <laughs> to go with it but um but yeah so it's it's set in new york and the two the two main characters are brother and sister and the brother will is secretly working on the manhattan project and then this mysterious woman shows up and everybody was wondering who's a spy who isn't a i mean it is it is twisty turny you don't know who does it till the end you know, it's mm -hmm. one of those that, and I, I hesitate to say much more than that uh, because <laughs> I don't want to give a, anything away. And I was, I was pretty floored when I got, when I got to the end of it. And it, and it was, it was one of those books where I went, oh my gosh, how could that be? Wait a minute. You want to look back and see, okay, I'm going to catch this author. She messed up <laughs> somewhere because there's no way I couldn't have picked this. Um, so that made me wonder when you were writing it, did you have the whole thing plotted out as far as, you know, where, who was going to be the bad guy and everything, or did you not, are you more of a pantser and then have to go back and make sure that everything fit? I mean, how, do, how, do, how do you approach it? So yeah, I had to know exactly how this ended before it started. So before I, you know, open up my, my writing document and start page one, like I know who the bad guy is. I know how it's going to end. And I generally know the twists and turns, but I usually don't have them perfectly figured out. So it's funny to hear you say, like my goal in writing these oftentimes is like to surprise people because there's a lot of people who read thriller after thriller after thriller. And they're just like, they get so much joy in like, I guess that, like I knew it was them, I figured it out. And so I, it makes me super happy when people are like, okay, I did not see that coming. And whoa, how did you like, where did that come from? And then you realize like, oh, it was there the whole time. But um, so when you write it, you know, everything is an open book for me. Like I know exactly how everything's going to play out. And so as I'm writing it, I'm like, this is terrible. Everybody's going to figure it out. And it's so <laughs> obvious. And like, oh, this red herring is such a red herring. Like it's going to be a red herring. And, <laughs> yeah. and this one and that and stuff like that. So, um, 
So it's harder for me because I just don't know if it's going to work out. And then, you know, my editor is always like, yeah, that was great. And I didn't, I, I wasn't sure that was how it's going to end up. And it was, it was good. But, you know, when you like actually give it to all the readers and they start reading it, you're like, oh gosh, I really hope I can pull this off. Well, do you, do you have beta readers? Cause I'll say, um, Kathy and I are also writers and unpublished so far. I was the same way. I didn't want anybody to know, but I wanted to give clues, but not also, like you said, the red herrings. So I had one of my friends read it and write down what page she thought who was the bad guy each time she kept going. So she, it was good to see that. Cause then I could be like, all right, here she might have guessed sort of, but then nope, she went back to this person, you know, and, and that's, do you have somebody that does that for you that I used to, like, there was a period of time where um, I, it's just everything I wrote was read by my friends, my beta readers, who most of the time were like writers themselves, or we were trying to get published as well. So um, pretty similar circumstances lately, uh, for the last couple of books, um, I have not had beta readers, like they've just gone straight to my editor. And I think maybe it's just come from like, I've, I've had enough, uh, I've had enough practice and experience to know, like, I think I'm on the right path. I think I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. where I need to be. Um, but, uh, but I still, I mean, I still do sometimes get beta readers, but it sort of depends. I think I get more readers for a very specific, like, I need you to read this with this in mind, as mm. opposed to just like globally, like, Hey, is this working kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes me more nervous because like before I used to have a lot of input and now it's sort of like, I just send it to my editor and I'm like, ah, <laughs> right. I really right. hope they like it. Um, well, you a, caught me definitely. And <laughs> The other thing I thought that was so interesting was um, how love was so prevalent. Because, you know, you don't always see that in thrillers as well. But the, the, it, it's really interesting because you have all different kinds of love. You know, you've got love of country, romantic <laughs> love, family love, and how all this works and intertwines to lead to crime basically, you know, um, so it's like, it's not the greed part as much. It's the love that's driving it. I mean, did you plan it that way? Or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I sort of did because love really drives you to do a lot of interesting things, right? Heroic things, terrible things. And it, it also is emotions a really interesting thing because we make a lot of conscious choices using our intellect and our logic about what consciously makes the best sense. And when you stick emotion into it, it throws everything for a wrench Mm. because you can't think with emotion. It changes, it colors how you see things, how you react to everything. And I, Mm -hmm. I find that a really fascinating interplay between, you know, your cognitive logic and then what emotion drives you to do. And that's just constantly happening in this story. Yeah. I love that. That's good. It's good. I love that because, you know, you think what would life be without emotion, right? That's where all of the highs and lows come in. But mm-hmm. it like, as you say, not the best indicator of what decisions we should make. <laughs> Weird. You can't really separate them. They're very hard to, it's really interesting. I was really fascinated by the um, books that you've written, right? Um, young adult and kind of more like a sci-fi. You've written a v- wide variety of genres. I'm very curious about that. And now you're transitioning into this historical thriller. And so I was curious if there are some elements from previous genres to this one that you've found, like science, the role of science and all of those. Yeah, yeah. I have, um, <laughs> I have to my agents, both dismay and happiness. Like, I can't really... <laughs> 
I don't really stick to one thing. And so I started out writing narrative essays about patient care and then switched over to writing some poetry. And then I decided I'm going to try to write young adult. And so this was in the, in like 2009, when it, like young adult was like a huge driving force. There's so much good books out there and I was reading a ton of it and I was really having fun with it. And I was like, I just want to give it a try. So the first um, book that I wrote was um, kind of like um, urban fantasy. It didn't sell. The second one was <laughs> historical fiction that didn't sell. Third one was science fiction. That one did sell. That one was Control. And then it had a sequel. And then after that, like, you know, the whole dystopian thing that happened in YA just kind of like just fizzled, right? And so all of a sudden, nobody wanted to see science fiction anymore. And so I had this great idea for historical fiction. And I was like, I would love to do this. And my editor was like, this isn't one, this is great. But two, you just went from science fiction to historical <laughs> fiction. Like how possibly end of the spectrum, the two <laughs> spectrums could you get? And then as she was reading it, she was like, you know what, Lydia, this isn't young adult. This is adult. Like this is reading the, the voices, the characters, the situations, everything about this is saying this is adult. It's not YA. And so I ended up sort of parting ways with her and we went on submission. And that book was A Beautiful Poison, which is set in 1918. And um, that got sold to Lake Union, which is where um, now all my historical fiction books are. And then I started doing this historical fiction thing. And it's been a run of like <laughs> four books in historical fiction. There is a commonality of the fact that they're all in New York. They all have uh, family members along the same sort of bloodline. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's funny. You can pop in and read each one separately, but yeah. if you, if you watch it kind of carefully, and I think at some point in time, like on a website or something, like I really should put like a family, a, a little yeah. family map. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I did. Yeah. That's from, cool. From this yes, one. Yeah. So the main character in A Beautiful Poison, um, her name is Aline. Uh, she is Dr. Fielding in this book. So- <gasps> Oh, oh. Yes. and so R Ruby is basically the the daughter. The, the daughter. Yes, okay. from um, oh, I love that. Yes, and the the child in a beautiful poison. There is a um, she's kind of like a I don't want to give it away who she is, but there's like sort of a person that ends up getting adopted into the family, and her name is Holly, and Holly is in this book. So oh, Holly wow. grows up to be in um, mm -hmm. the Half-Life of Ruby Feeling. So if you read, if you like the books and you're sort of careful enough to sort of notice the details, you will see the different characters show up um, throughout. Uh, the they're like and Easter eggs kind of hit. They are. Them. They're absolutely, yeah. and they're like my Easter eggs because I don't right. think anybody really cares about it, but me. <laughs> so but do, my, do yeah. you have to like do a spreadsheet to keep track of that? Or is that just really clear in your mind? It's not a ton of family members, so it's not too difficult to have to do a spreadsheet. But I, I had to do a little bit of math because like, um, like sometimes I would mention um, the character. So Cora Lee, who's in The Impossible Girl from 1850, uh, that book. So she is mentioned in multiple books as like, I had this like, you know, I had this crazy great, great grandma who apparently might've been like a half Chinese woman who was a grave robber. And people are sort of like, really? And they're like, well, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but it, it is actually true. And that's like, there's a whole book about Cora and she's a grave robber and she's, she's half Asian, but she, and that there's a mention of that briefly in here, like she's some weird family members, like way back. So <laughs> it comes from weird stock. And so I, it's fun to sort of like, to mention that, like I yeah. really enjoyed having that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like such a lot of research just to get the history right, you know? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then to do it over so many different time frames, you must really like to research. <laughs> I didn't necessarily plan it out because I didn't write them in chronological order. So I wrote 
A Beautiful Poison, and, and that takes place in um, 1918. And then I went backwards in time and I wrote the 1851 that was um, The Impossible Girl. And then I jumped forward to 1899, which is Opium and Absinthe, which has the, I think, the granddaughter of Cora, Cora's granddaughters in that. And then jumped way, way forward to World War II to do the Half-Life Ruby feeling. So I sort of went like, doot, 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 and managed well, to make Well, do you sort get of... the ideas while you're researching the one book and then go, oh, you know what? I'd like to do something in that time frame too, or something when you're, I mean. You know what? The books, the writing of the historical fiction did not give me the ideas for each of the other books. Like I get them, I get the ideas from, from elsewhere. A Beautiful Poison, I got the idea. I've been kind of obsessed about World War I and the fact that the influenza pandemic happened at that time. Mm. Uh, it so happened that the first office of the chief medical examiner, so like the first forensics, major forensics force in New York, uh, that office opened in 1918. So I thought, ooh, this is perfect. Oh my gosh. I can put all this in there together and it's going to be a murder mystery. And I wanted a woman in there who was also a radium girl who like worked in watch factories and was dying from radium poisoning. So she's in there. So I just mushed all this up. and Bellevue, the place where I did my residency is a historic hospital that's been around for a long time. And I put Bellevue in there. So I just mushed all these things that were just, I was really fascinated by. And that was how beautiful poison happened. And um, all these other ideas came from actually researching some of my nonfiction books. So I wrote quackery, a brief history of the worst ways to cure everything. And um, in doing a lot of this research, you know, we came upon grave diggers. So that's sort of how the impossible girl about grave robbing um, sort of came up. And then there's also in the opium and absinthe, there's a lot of stuff in there about opium addiction that happens in the 19th century. And I'd read about that by doing all of my, my history and research about how tuberculosis was often, victims of tuberculosis were often thought to be victims of vampires. And I thought that's kind of interesting because they would, they would like shrink, they would get thinner and thinner and thinner. And that's why they called it consumption when you mm -hmm. had tuberculosis. Oh. And some people were like, there, it's not just consumption, like they're being consumed, like they're being fed upon by, by vampires. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I put that into the book. And then for Half-Life of Ruby Fielding, I was sort of like, you know, I always wanted to do a World War II book, but I find it World War II is really intimidating. And there's so much, there's so many stories already. And I was like, I want to do something that feels just comfortable for me to do. And so I, I said, well, I'm going to do New York because there's actually a lot of World War II books don't take place in, you know, stateside. So I thought I'm going to do New York. I'm very comfortable with New York City. I lived there for a long time. So um, I know it pretty well. And, and I wanted to do something about the Manhattan Project because a lot mm. of the Manhattan Project actually did happen in Manhattan. It didn't just happen. We think of like the bombs sort of going off and, mm -hmm. and you know, with the testing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it actually did happen in New York around where I used to live. So I wanted to include that too. And oh. Brooklyn Navy Yard and women's steel workers and all that kind of stuff. And so I just, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, sort of sew this all together, but I'm going to include the family somehow. And, uh, oh, and I love poison. So I put poison in there. <laughs> it's a great way to kill people. Yeah. On that note, we should take a little sip of our, our afternoon cocktails. Oh yeah. Speaking of poison. <laughs> yeah. If you're like us and enjoy a glass of wine, nakedwines.com should be your next online stop. You don't have to get naked, but you can get six bottles of wine, red, white, or a mix for only $34.99 plus free shipping. That's a savings of $90. Or you could get naked, 
Either way, <laughs> go to our website, gameofbookspodcast.com for a coupon code. It's that easy. No commitments, no membership fees, just wine shipped to you direct from independent winemakers with a 100% refund guarantee. Go to gameofbookspodcast.com for the coupon code. Move into the question of the, in the bottle. So we ask our authors that chat with us a random question that you might get to at the bottom of a bottle. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Oh, this is this is kind of interesting. What is one make-believe that you wish was real? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I love the idea of having supernatural powers, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Which ones? Well, I, I would like to fly. That's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, mm. I have achieved flying in my dreams, though. I have had several dreams where I'm flying in my dreams, so it feels pretty close to the real thing. Wow, oh, fun. Awesome. But, you know, as far as, like, make-believe, I'm going to go more into the sort of fantastical thing, and I would say I kind of wish ghosts were real. Oh. Yes, because, there's first of all, there's so many people who believe that ghosts actually exist. I'm a very logic-based person, so I don't believe that myself. However, I think it would be it would make our world so much more rich if we knew that the deceased was were still around in some way. Oh, yeah, for both sure. in a in a loving kind of way, but also in a, you know, people are complicated, which means ghosts would be super complicated. It would probably super yeah, <laughs> ruin parties and who knows what else. But, um, <laughs> but that I makes think me... that would be really cool. I know. I'm always that thinking, makes me think okay, of that as movie. Long as they're good yeah. ghosts, right? <laughs> yeah, they're not always going to be good. That's no. They would be as complicated as we are. So sometimes they would be friendly and sometimes yeah. they'd be in a terrible mood. And some of them might be, you know, I don't know, just really troublesome. Serial and- killers. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably they're probably also serial ghost killers, like ghosts that yeah. kill other ghosts. I mean, it's just it's a whole other dimension. <laughs> like a whole level of things. It I would be. Think of the um remember the movie Ghosts with Patrick Swayze? Oh yes. And there was a um, like a really angry guy that he found on the other side, like a ghost. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. I mean, that. that's yeah. That guy that's always freaked me out. I still yeah, see no. him right now. <laughs> and then you would have to have like ghost psychologists and ghost psychiatrists <laughs> to just help them. Like you need to. So like, then then we're getting down. now we're getting into sixth sense. See, because that yeah. was like. <laughs> and then you would need insurance for the ghost. It was I was going to say pay for the insurance. It was so complicated. It was very oh, complex. That's, good. I know. <laughs> that's a really good answer. <laughs> that's you. a really good answer. Christy, what would you say? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I know. Now that I'm like, I'm like, now that sounds really interesting. But I don't want the scary things, even though I write scary things. Because I was like first thinking, oh, you know, like vampires and werewolves and things. But maybe mermaids. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, then mm-hmm. there's a whole city underwater and hmm. we could go visit, I guess. I don't know. Yes. That would be really, really cool. <laughs> That's really, be, yeah, that would be cool. That yeah. Would be cool. Especially if the mermaids were like, you guys are ruining the ocean and we're coming. Yeah, to take yeah over. exactly. You guys clearly <laughs> Start throwing them. things back up on land. and <laughs> bunch of women with tails running everything. I'm totally fine with that. That'd be great. Yes, that would be fine by me we, too. We gave, we gave everybody else a chance. It didn't go well. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we've mentioned that you are a physician, a working physician, and a writer. Christy and I were, you know, chatting about this conversation today, and we were thinking, you know, how cool that you're a, a physician writer, and and you're writing historical about women, you know, and history, like the labor force in the 1940s. And 
Um, so I just, let's chat about that a little bit. I know we did earlier, but I know you were so fascinated by that World War II time. Yeah. And in that, there was a, there was a physician, woman physician, but it was so yeah. rare. I mean, they made a big yeah. deal, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it has was changed. really rare. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to highlight that a little bit because it's such a, you know, when you get a situation where like the status quo is that women don't work, women are not in medicine and you put them in there, there is that tension. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love to play with that tension when, you know, Maggie's on in the Brooklyn Navy yard and she's walking around and she's getting cat called and people are like, Mm -hmm. you should be wearing lipstick and you should do. And then she's just overwhelmed by it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, this hyper masculinity that is Mm -hmm. around her, but then she ends up, um, becoming really good at what she's doing. And there's that pride of like, you know, I'm welding things and I'm doing Mm -hmm. a really good job. And, um, just because of my gender, like it it doesn't mean that I'm set to fail this, like way everybody's sort of acting like I'm going to fail. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love that idea of just breaking those boundaries and, um, breaking through those stereotypes because, uh, you know, I think women still, um, have to do that today. I think there are a lot of people who have to constantly break through these gender stereotypes of, you know, what is your gender and what do you, what, you, what people think are you're capable of based on what you look like. It just drives me nuts. So, oh, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's still, um, in the fields that you're in both writing and the medical field. I mean, it's just been probably in like the last 20 years that you see more, I don't know, closer to equivalent, but I, I don't even know when you look at it, probably yeah. it's still men outnumber the women in those professions as well. Well, I had, I had just, um, my daughter is um, a biochemistry major um, a pre-med. And so we talk about this a lot because I, I was a lawyer my previous life and I was astonished by the amount of sexism, despite the fact that there were more women graduating from law school um, than men when I graduated, but it's still, there's just so much sexism in the, in the industry is our all, but yeah, just yeah. read an article, um, talking about the pay discrepancy in one of the, this is a couple of years ago. And one of the um, fields that was highlighted in a pay discrepancy was, um, general practitioners, um, internists and internal specialists uh, for, and, um, the difference between men and women. And I thought, can you imagine that? Like you go to med school, same as that guy, and you're at the same clinic and you compare paychecks and he's getting paid, you know, 20% more than you are. And I just, yeah. so that I want makes to, me mad. It, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, mad too. It's, it's infuriating. And I think yeah. they're, um, you know, I think different institutions are trying really hard to be more um, transparent about things like mm-hmm. pay as well, but there's still like, you know, I think the women are, are really starting to outnumber men in medicine for sure. Um, but there are still like disparities as far as like, you know, women aren't getting promoted as much. And mm-hmm. women oftentimes have so much of this sort of um, invisible burden of work that doesn't get counted as like real academic work or, mm. and so I, oh, this is, this is sort of a trigger point for me. I could talk about this forever, <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, we've got yeah. wine. So yes, we do have wine, but then we also have this, like we have books, right? So that's right. I, I get to sort of tackle in my, this is yeah. one of the reasons why I like practicing medicine and writing books, because when I get really frustrated by, you know, different uh, issues in my job, not that I don't love taking care of patients, but you know, it's paperwork and, um, Mm. and there's red tape and, you know, there, there are always frustrations in whatever job you have. Like when you were a lawyer, you were probably just, you know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. And it is very nice to be able to come home, open up your laptop 
and start writing a world that is all completely under your control. It is very, Mm -hmm. very amazing. I I love it. And on the flip side of that, you know, the publishing world can be really frustrating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing is guaranteed. And there's always somebody doing better than you. It's just, you know, always the comparison game is just inevitable and not really healthy. And um, when that sort of gets you down, I I can go to work and actually help real people with real problems and make them feel better. And it's very satisfying. So they end up sort of um, working out really well too. That's a really cool way to look at it, but each one feeds off um, the other and helps. That's really neat. Yeah. I I think it's one of the reasons why I haven't quit medicine, to be honest. I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, when I got my first book deal, a lot of my physician friends were like, you're going to quit, right? Like they were sort of like wanting to live vicariously through. Like oh, like, sure. <laughs> you're going to quit and become a full-time writer, right? Because like mm-hmm. you made it, like you've got a book deal. And I was yeah. like, well, you know, one of the things I always tell young writers is like, don't necessarily, don't quit your day job because mm-hmm. it is a very mm-hmm. precarious way to earn money. It is up yeah. and down and there are some good years and there are some bad years, but the, the average, you know, advances are still really small and you can't live off of them. No, so right. I was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to keep my day job. And mm-hmm. interestingly, I think it kept me from quitting because I didn't burn out. And I found mm. that they just complemented each other really well. Wow. That's wow, really that's awesome. great to hear. I love that. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Are you, are you writing another in the family saga of some? So that's a good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I have written so much about like everything in New York, four books in New York, family, historical thrillers kind of a thing. And I have an idea for another historical novel, but it takes place in France. I haven't written it yet. Oh, I um, then you just have to go to France, right? To research. <laughs> we'll we'll join might. you. I yeah. might. I would <laughs> love to. So I might. Um, so I'm thinking about doing that. And I have another young adult book that I'm thinking about trying to write. So I'm sort of in this like sort of uh, like stage of just starting to like, uh, should I put this together? And should I put that together? And and we're also thinking about putting another book out that's going to be a follow-up. So we've done Quackery and then Patient Zero. These are my two nonfiction books. And we're thinking of the third, but so we're sort of well, mulling That's over what that I wanted idea. to ask you about as well, because mm-hmm. Kathy and I are always fascinated about co-authors, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, how yeah. they work together. And so yeah. I, and I, and I love, I got to get these books. I mean, my background is science. So I was like, <gasps> going, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> and, um, but I was like, how did they do, how did they come up with this? How did they collab, how did the collaboration come about and mm-hmm. how does it work? So, you know, the funny thing was I had, you know, sold two books to Penguin. Those were my first two science fiction novels. And then I had trouble selling more books after that. Like I, you know, nobody wanted science fiction. I was trying to sell this historical fiction, but it was a little bit different and weird. Like you saw how many things I crammed into that book. And so it's kind of <laughs> hard to pitch, you know? I was at a book conference. I think I was actually at Comic-Con in San Diego, and I was hanging out with a friend of mine, April Tuholki, who is a YA novelist as well. And she now writes picture books, and she's also working on adult work as well, but um, and nonfiction. But anyway, we were friends, and I was having lunch with her and her husband, Nate Peterson. And, um, and she was like, you guys should write something together. Cause Lydia has this like background in medicine and science. And Nate was an historian and a librarian and he wrote, he, and a journalist. So he was, you know, used to writing a lot of articles and stuff like that. And she was like, I should write something about some, like some weirdo, like medical history thing or, and I didn't really think much of it. I thought, yeah, sure. That sounds great. 
And so Nate emailed me later and he was like, I think we should write a book about quacks, like weird quack doctors and quack medicine and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's like a really good idea. Like I, when you're in medical school, you don't get any medical history as part of your education. You just learn about how to take care of patients now mm-hmm. with what is the current way to take care of everybody. So you don't get a whole lot of time to spend about like the history of like the autopsy or the history of like bloodletting or anything. Right. That's what's coming to my head. Bloodletting. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So Nate and I were like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. We're just going to put together a proposal. And we wrote a couple sample chapters and we thought we're going to write something that's not, that's a little different from everything that's out there. Something that's like really entertaining and kind of funny that everybody can read and be and agree like this is yes these were terrible things that we used to do <laughs> horrible idea to use stitches to cure lovesickness <laughs> you know horrible idea to use a burning yeah. cautery iron like you know sizzling against your skin to cure fatigue like it's just, <laughs> just terrible terrible idea <laughs> so, so anyway when, yeah we, we put we put this proposal together and it sold to Workman. Workman Publishing did a wonderful job of putting it together with these really great graphics and illustrations. And we found lots of old timey photographs and it was just beautifully put together. And we had a blast writing it. We had so, and the way that we wrote it, cause you had a question like, how do you co-op yeah, it? Yeah. So I don't know, nonfiction is a little weird. Like the way that Nate and I did it was that we decided on the table of contents for like, these are all the things we're gonna write about. And we just divvied them up. Um, Nate was like, I want to write the one on alcohol. And I was like, I want to write the one on opium because I think the history of opium is really interesting. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do this one. And I'm like, I want to do the one on eating corpses because that's so (laughs) gross. And I want to figure out why people were eating corpses. So that's what we did. We just just sort of divvied it down the middle. We uh, wrote our chapter separately. We would exchange them and fact check them and then send them back and then revise and then revise again. And then we would send it off to our editor and then we do more revising and stuff like that. And that's how we did it. And that's how we did patient zero as well. So patient zero is a, a curious history of the world's worst diseases and it tends to be about pandemic type illnesses. So we mm. talk about like typhus and typhoid and tuberculosis and Oh, you know, like every horrible disease, including COVID, we talk about the plague and all these kinds of things. Um, so obvious. Did you start that one after, after the we pandemic started? We started it before COVID. We started oh, wow. it. Did you really? We, it before. we did. I was going to we say, were, you got it out quick if you didn't. We, yeah. Well, we did write it fairly quickly. So we, we knew we were going to write about it. And we'd heard like, oh, maybe there's something. I was like, hey, I was looking at the news and there's like an outbreak in China right now. And I was like. <laughs> Since I'm, I was writing a chapter on like how do out, how are outbreaks contained or how are outbreaks like, you know, like um, how does a public health Calvary like just come to the rescue when there's an outbreak? And I'm like, oh, this might end up in the book. And then a month later, and this was <laughs> like might. after we sold the book, a month later, like COVID was like really like starting to percolate and happen. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, Nate, this is, I can't believe we're going to be writing this. And he was like, yeah. And so our editor was like, well, this is timely. Let's try to write this and we'll, we'll get this out. And then in a year, like, you know, the, the pandemic will be over. This book will be out. People will be ready to read it. And the book will be oh, yeah. out this past fall. So we were still in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, when it came not, over. not over, not over, not over, <laughs> but you know, we don't talk about, there's a single chapter on COVID and everything else is about sort of the history of like typhoid Mary and, mm-hmm. um, but that's all like, fascinating. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And from the perspective of people who are living in the pandemic, when you read it, it's just 
really eye-opening because some of the stuff like stuff that was happening during like the plague when the plague hit San Francisco in like the in 1900 it was just like reading I was like is this how current is this it was like make America white again and tons of anti-Chinese sentiment and um people were like oh this plague thing it's not real it's like all fake news I was like I can't believe I'm reading this this is from over 100 years ago oh so we've learned nothing great no yeah Yeah. like people like getting upset about mask mandates during the oh, no. influenza pandemic. Absolutely. So reading it, I was just sort of like, oh my gosh, history truly wow. repeats itself. Uh, yeah, apparently. And we, we didn't learn. Okay. Before we go, we got one final question. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. So okay. we like to ask all our authors this, um, it, it, you know, it's a foodie question. <laughs> Which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh my gosh, that's a really good one. Um, like all of my characters, like every single book, whatever character yeah. you want. I gotta. Look I, I know who you like shouldn't you. from this book. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That is a really good question. Oh, I know who it would be. Okay, it would be. Okay, it would be Anda. So from the November Girl. This is one of my young adult novels oh, that's pretty cool. um it's about a boy he's like uh 17 years old and he's trying to escape his abusive home so he goes to isle royal which is a island uh, in lake superior which is a public park it's one of the national parks and it closes over the course over the winter time so the park shuts okay. down because it's uh-huh. really inhospitable so he goes to hide out there until he turns 18 so he can become legal and just leave his, his, uh, his home. And on that Island is this woman, Anda, who is also a teenager. She's half lake and half human. So she is not a fully human person. And she is the person who's responsible for sinking all the ships in Lake Superior. Oh, wow. So, and she's like, (laughs) do you guys remember that song? Um, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. 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 So in that, in that um, song, they mention something called the witch of November who sinks oh, the ship. Yeah. So she is the witch of November. She is the entity that sinks the ships, right? So the interesting thing about Anda is that she's half human. And as she gets older, she becomes less and less human to the point where she like, doesn't really know that she's supposed to eat. She forgets that like what food tastes like. And so in this book, there's this one scene where Hector gives her chocolate and she eats it for the first time because she doesn't know what it is. And it's, it's hilarious because she puts it in her mouth and she's like, sort of walks away and comes back and she was like, I need another bite. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next thing she knows, like she's eaten the whole candy bar and he's just sort of like, I guess he's like, I guess you don't like it. And she's like, oh no, no, it's I'll I'll take the rest of it. So I would love to have a meal with her because it's so cool. I would love to feed her things that she has never had before to see her expression and to have her taste like some really delicious things because it's really, it would be fun to share with her. Like some of the best things in the, in life are about being yeah. able to taste and experience. Oh. So that's, that's, Ooh, that what I would that's a great answer. She would probably try to kill me oh, uh, gosh. The, yeah. during the course of the meal, but that's okay. It would be it's wonderful. okay. It's like one of those dangerous seafoods. You have to be really careful how you handle it. Exactly. Yes, right. <laughs> okay. So if our um, listeners, when they have questions about you, what's the best way to find out about you, uh, email you website, where they find you? Sure. So I, um, my website, LydiaKang.com, it's actually in the middle of being, um, 
rehauled. So it's going to be looking pretty different in the next couple of weeks, but that should have like up-to-date stuff on all my books. But um, probably of all the social media that I'm most um, active on would be Instagram. I love Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun for me. And I I don't just put book stuff on there. I just put whatever I want. Um, So yeah, find me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter too, but I'm around. You'll find well, me. Well, it's it's been wonderful having you. So it's fun. Even though we all are having different wine, I think we need to do one more <laughs> cheers before and cheers we go. Absolutely. To cheers. your birth birthday. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.